Expect the expected. That was what Seattle Mariners manager Scott Service said when asked about the Mariners' wildcard playoff game against the Toronto Blue Jays earlier this week. And yesterday afternoon, when I checked the score at the top of the sixth to see that the Mariners were seven runs down, I told my son, well, there's no point turning that game onto the TV. And statistically speaking, there was no point in turning that game on. According to a chart I saw this morning, the Mariners had a 1% chance of winning at the bottom of the fifth. So imagine my surprise when I checked the score this morning <laughs> to see that the Mariners had clinched that wildcard playoff game by 10 runs to 9. Woo! Expect the expected, said Scott Service. More like expect the unexpected. And what a joy it can be when something unexpected happens, right? Of course, I'm totally expecting them to crash and burn this week in Houston. Come on, they're the Mariners. Well, welcome to Chapel Hill. My name's Alice. I'm one of the pastors here. Really glad that you're joining us today, whether you're here in person, you're joining us online. Pastor Mark, who kicked off our series four weeks ago, is taking a well-earned vacation, but we're continuing through Luke's Gospel, one of the four biographies of Jesus' life. And one of the things I love about examining Jesus' life is that we see him doing unexpected things. Just like the Mariners in last night's game, Jesus is often equally unexpected. And this morning, we're going to hear about a day in the life of Jesus. In fact, many people believe this was the first day in Jesus' ministry. And he does three unexpected things on this opening day of ministry that I think we can learn from. So let's look together. We're in Luke chapter 4, verse 31 and following. And Jesus went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, 
I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we find Jesus on this opening day in the city of Capernaum. It's a city right on the Sea of Galilee itself. It's about 11 o'clock on the sea, if the sea was a clock face. And Jesus begins this day, which is the Sabbath, like every good Jewish man, by going to the synagogue. Now, Jesus was a teacher, but he wasn't very well known in the city of Capernaum. And as he taught the people that day, he stunned them. They were amazed by his teaching. It had authority like no one that they'd ever heard before. And then all of a sudden, in the midst of his teaching, a man stands up and starts crying out, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, I think I hold the record on our preaching team for having been interrupted in my sermons by a medical incident more than anyone else. I've been interrupted three times by medical incidents in sermons, but I have never been interrupted by someone heckling me and don't get any ideas. But Jesus is heckled in the midst of his teaching on his very first day of ministry. And how Jesus responds to this man is the first of three unexpected things that Jesus does on this opening day. And the first of those is this. Jesus put relationship before recognition. This man who Luke writes was possessed by a demon cries out and tells everyone gathered in the synagogue that he knows who Jesus is, the Holy One of God. And this isn't the only time this happens in this chapter. Later, in verse 41, we read this, and demons also came out of many crying, you are the Son of God. Now, some context. This was Jesus' opening day. The question on everyone's lips was, who is this man? He's teaching, he's healing, he has authority like no one we've ever seen before. Who is he? And here we have the true answer to Jesus' identity coming out of the mouths of many people. People declaring that he is the Son of God. Now, if I were Jesus, and I know that everyone's asking who is this guy, I would probably want to respond to these proclamations by saying, yes, that's who I am. I'm the son of God. Listen to this man. He's got the right answer. He's got the answer you're all looking for, right? If everyone's asking who Jesus is, and then you have these people shouting the answer, surely Jesus is going to say, yes, they're right. But he doesn't. To the first man who heckles him during his teaching, Jesus responds like this, verse 35. Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And later we find out this is a pattern of Jesus. Verse 41 tells us, but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. Jesus doesn't affirm these true statements, but instead silences them. And Luke tells us why. It was for a very intentional reason, because they knew that he was the Christ. The Christ was this this long-awaited king who was going to come and rescue his people. But Jesus didn't want people to know that he was the Christ. Now, why? Here's why. Jesus put relationship before recognition. 
Jesus wanted people to get to know him in relationship to him himself. He didn't want people getting to know him because some demon cried out his true identity as the son of God. He wanted people to get to know him personally. Relationship before recognition. Some of you who are listening to this today, if if you're really honest with yourself, you might say something like, I still don't really know who Jesus is for myself. I recognize Jesus, but I wouldn't say that I have any sort of relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've heard about him from others. Maybe you've heard the headlines about him, but you're still making up your mind on who Jesus really is. And if that's you, I'm really glad that you are listening to this. Hearing God's word preached is one way that you can get to know Jesus personally. But I want to invite you to try something more than that. This summer, uh, I invited a friend of mine. Uh, We'd just gone to Alpha together. He decided to follow Jesus. And I said to him, hey, I'd love to invite you to do something called the 90-day challenge. And here's the 90-day challenge. Every day for 90 days, you read one chapter from the four accounts of Jesus' life that we have. The Gospels, we call them. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And every day, we're going to text back and forth our answers to two questions. What did I learn about Jesus? And what is Jesus asking me to do? And so we did it. We did it over the summer. It was days where we missed and we caught up, but we got through it. And a couple of weeks ago, I got to debrief with him. I sat down with him. I said, I'd love to hear what this experience was like for you. And he told me in that meeting that he had never read the Bible before. This was the first time he'd ever read the Bible. And he said to me that through this experience, he had come to know Jesus in a deeper, more profound way. In fact, if I could kind of sum up what I heard him say in that conversation, I would say that he said something like, I'm now experiencing a relationship with Jesus where before I only had a recognition of him. Jesus wants a personal relationship with you. And here's the amazing thing. He's done everything necessary to make that possible. You know, at one time, all of us in our lives rejected God. We all said, I don't want to live God's way in God's world. I want to live my way. And as a result of our actions, our sin, as the Bible calls it, we've been separated from God. I love the way Nikki Gumbel puts this. He says, imagine this hand represents you and this book represents your sin. Where are we in relation to God? We're separated from him by our sin. But he says, imagine this hand represents Jesus. What Jesus does is he takes your sin upon himself. And where does that leave you? Able to have a relationship with God. Jesus chose relationship before recognition because he wants to know us personally and he's done everything necessary to make that happen. And if you don't know Jesus personally, can I invite you to try that 90-day challenge? And can I encourage you that it's a lot easier to do when you do it with a friend? Maybe someone has brought you to church or shared this content with you online. Ask them, would you do this with me? Read one chapter of each of the accounts of Jesus' life every day. Jesus wants a personal relationship with you. He doesn't just want you to recognize him from what other people say about him. Will you get 
to know him. So, that's the first unexpected thing Jesus does on his opening day. He chooses relationship before recognition. Here's the second. He chooses solitude before success. Jesus' first day of ministry is long and successful. In the morning, he, he teaches in a synagogue. He amazes everyone, and then he, he casts this demon out of the demoniac, and he amazes everyone again, and then he goes for lunch at Simon Peter's house, and he heals Simon's mother-in-law, and then in the evening, the whole town comes out to him for healing. Luke writes this, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Wow, what a first day of ministry. And in my mind, if I'd had a day of ministry like that, I would want to make sure to capitalize on that success in day two. I would plan to get out there early and let the people know, I'm here, I'm ready to do more healing, grab your friends, get the word out, it is time to double down on our success of day one. But not Jesus. What does Jesus do at the beginning of the next day? Well, take a look, verse 42. And when it was day, Jesus departed and went into a desolate place. Jesus doesn't head back to the crowds and capitalize on his success. He goes in the very opposite direction. Jesus heads out to a desolate place where there would be no one. Jesus chooses solitude before success. Why? Well, this isn't the only time Jesus goes to a desolate place. In fact, in the next chapter of Luke, it's recorded that Jesus would often withdraw to desolate places and pray. And I think that's what we find here. After a successful first day of ministry, before the next day started, before doing anything that involved other people, Jesus chose to go off by himself and spend time in prayer with his heavenly Father. And if we want to follow Jesus, if we want to imitate his lifestyle I believe we too need to choose solitude before success. We need to choose to depart to desolate places first thing in the morning and be with the Father before we go out and try to be successful in our days. So what about you? How does your day start? Do you choose solitude before success like Jesus did? If you don't, can I invite you to try it this week? This week, try spending time alone with God before the day begins. Set your alarm 30 minutes earlier. Get up before everyone else. Find a quiet place in your house. Grab a cup of coffee and then spend some time reading the Bible and praying. If, if you're not sure quite how that would work, how to do that, try that 90-day challenge that I just threw out or, 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 or try grabbing one of those four-to-one prayer guides on your way out this morning. You know, if you take time every morning to choose solitude before success, I believe that you will find yourself more centered, calmer, and more in tune with God throughout the day. I know that's what happens to me. And more than that, as we're going to see in this next point, I think that you will enter the day with a greater sense of purpose, the purpose that God has for you in the day. So, Jesus chose solitude before success. Jesus chose to spend time with the Father before jumping into another busy day of successful work. And perhaps we might do well to model ourselves after Jesus. Jesus does three unexpected things on his opening day. First, 
He put relationship before recognition. Second, he put solitude before success. And third, the third unexpected thing Jesus does is he put purpose before popularity. Jesus disappears to this desolate place, but even there, he can't escape the crowds because they hunt him down. People come to him and they say, Jesus, the word has spread. People are looking for you. We've got to capitalize on this. Come back to town. Do the healing again. You're about to hit the big time. Jesus would be crazy not to go back to the town, right? He's, he's done his solitude thing. He's got his time with the Father. Now let's go back and do it again. Capitalize on the popularity. But Jesus does something unexpected. Verse 43. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. Why? For I was sent for this purpose. Jesus says, what you're suggesting isn't what I'm here for. I'm not here to increase my popularity in Capernaum. I'm here for a purpose. And my purpose is to preach the good news of God's kingdom to the other towns as well. And I know you think it'd be crazy to start again from scratch, to move on to the next town where no one knows me, where they might reject me, but that is my purpose. Purpose before popularity. Recently, we launched this new initiative at Chapel Hill that we're calling For The One. We believe that all of us are called to follow Jesus in sharing the good news of God's kingdom to people who don't yet know it. And we've challenged each one of us who call Chapel Hill our home to invest in the life of one person who doesn't currently attend church. We believe that God has called us to love, pray for, serve, and share the good news with one person who doesn't currently attend church, one neighbor or one coworker or one family member, to be for the one. Just like Jesus knew that his purpose was to share the good news of the kingdom of God, we believe that is our purpose too. Recently, we asked a number of folks what barriers they felt in sharing life and faith with those outside the church. And the number one answer, the number one barrier that people felt they faced was a fear of rejection. Two in five people expressed that the biggest barrier they felt in sharing the good news with people outside the church was that they might be rejected by those people. And honestly, I wonder if Jesus felt the same thing. He was rejected by many people, especially by his own people, the Jews. Last week, we heard about how the Jews tried to throw Jesus off of a cliff. And you all know how the story ends, right? He gets crucified. And yet, Jesus did not seem to be phased by a fear of rejection. I mean, if he was, surely in our passage today, he would have gone back to Capernaum, to where he was popular, to where he already had a following, to where people liked him. But he didn't. He went to the next town, facing the possibility of rejection once again. Jesus put purpose before popularity. And do you know why I think Jesus felt able to risk rejection and go on to the next town? Because he'd just spent time with his heavenly father. His heavenly father who loved him deeply and accepted him fully as his son. Jesus knew that he was accepted by the father and in that power, he could face down the fear of rejection. 
and choose purpose over popularity. And growing up, there was one phrase that my mom said to me over and over again, and it stuck with me through the years. She would say, I love you, Ellis, and there's nothing you can do to make me love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make me love you less. And I have no doubt that the Father spoke that same sentiment over Jesus, his son, that morning. And I have no doubt that the Father is speaking that same words over us today. If you are in Christ, the Father says to you, I love you, and there's nothing you can do to make me love you more. There's nothing you can do to make me love you less. I don't love you based on what you do. I love you based on what Jesus did. You are accepted by me, wholly, fully, completely. And in the power of that love and acceptance, Jesus chose to face down the fear of rejection and he put purpose before popularity. And in the power of that same love and acceptance, we can do the same. Jesus could have chosen to stay with the people who, who already liked him, who'd already heard the good news, who'd, who were already rejoicing in it, who were already wowed by him, but he didn't because his purpose was to go to others who didn't yet know the good news about God's kingdom. And he put purpose before popularity. He did it in the power of the love of the Father, knowing that he was accepted already. So it didn't matter what other people thought of him. And I believe Jesus challenges us to do the same. You are accepted by the Father. It doesn't matter what other people think of you. And in that power, in that love, you can choose purpose over popularity. And our purpose is to share the good news of God's kingdom with those who don't yet know it. So who is your one? And what is one way that you can be for them this week? One way that you can serve them. One way that you can share the good news of them, whether it's in word or whether it's in deed. How can you put purpose before popularity? So, Jesus did three unexpected things on his opening day of ministry. He put relationship before recognition, he put solitude before success, and he put purpose before popularity. And I wonder, how might God be challenging you through this? Which of those three unexpected pieces of Jesus' work on that first day connects with you most? Maybe it's the first. Maybe you need to get to know Jesus personally. Try that 90-day challenge. Maybe it's the second. Maybe you need to prioritize time in solitude this week before your day begins. Or maybe it's the third. Maybe you need to accept the love of the Father for you and face down your fear of rejection and share the good news about God's kingdom. Whatever, whatever God might be challenging you over, whatever he might be convicting you about, the reality is we're all a work in progress. Even this week as we might try some of these things that I've suggested, we're all gonna fall short of the perfection of Jesus. And you know what? That isn't unexpected to God. He knew that was gonna happen. He knew we'd stumble and fall and sin, but that didn't stop and doesn't stop God loving us. And that's what this meal 
of which we're about to partake reminds us. This meal is the embodiment of the good news that God made a way for us to be reconciled to him, that even though we deserve to face the consequences of our own wrongdoing, that God took those consequences upon himself, that his body was broken, that our broken bodies might be made whole, that his blood was spilt, that we might have new life flowing through our veins. And as we come to this meal, I want to invite us to begin with a time of prayerful reflection to ask the Lord, is there anything you're convicting me of today? Something that has come between me and you and something of which I need to trust that you have forgiven. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me in prayer? Father, we come to you today and we recognize that there are things that we have done where we've fallen short. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to search our hearts before we come to this meal and reveal to us anything of which we need to confess and repent, trusting that you have forgiven us. Take a moment of silence with the Lord right now. Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington. Our worship services are Sundays at 9 and 10.30. We hope to see you there. To learn more about our upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org.